Studio Stories, Studio Stories. A podcast reminiscing on Twin Cities dance history. All stories are connected, new ones woven from threads of the old. Hi, I'm Matthew Jindusky. Welcome to Studio Stories. Today our guest is Carla Grotting, an amazing and prominent teacher of jazz dance, modern jazz, and tap dance in Minnesota with many years at the University of Minnesota, St. Olaf College, and Xenon. Since 1990, Carla has been a company member and artistic associate of Flying Foot Forum with Joe Koala, but even that is just a glimmer into her dancing career. Welcome to Studio Stories, Carla. Thank you, Matthew. I am delighted to talk with you. It's so awesome to have you here, and obviously you and I have a history, quite a history together. Um, I really appreciate you joining us today. Um, I absolutely love watching you perform and the pleasure of being part of many classes at the U of M with you, uh, getting to perform your work actually, <laughs> and uh, tour with Danny Bercheski's Jazz Dance. It's been many years since then. Well, so right just... back at you, Matthew. <laughs> I have so much respect for your artistry and your talent and your generosity. And I just love dancing with you, working with you, watching watching you move, especially. Oh, thank you, Carla. It's really, really great to get to catch up with you and, and hear more of your story and get to share that with our listeners. So uh, let's dive in. Uh, if I remember correctly, you were a child of a studio mom, and that dance was kind of really part of your life at a young age, correct? I'm glad you asked me. I would really like to tell you this story because it's the seed for a new project that I'm working on. So I'm going to really start back with my mother's story. She was Kay Rosenwinkel. She grew up in a very small town in southern Minnesota, Huntley. And her mom put her and her siblings on the train to Fairmont each week to go for their dance classes. And they studied with a very stylish, elegant woman named Lenore Hyde. And they, they studied a real strange mix of novelty Americana, almost vaudeville-esque dancing. So they learned tap, ballet, acrobatics, tumbling, ballroom, baton, um, all kinds of these odd novelty dance styles. And my mother loved it. And when she was 13, she had a, a two-piece costume for the recital, kind of like a ruffly bikini. And one of the other parents called her fat in it. And she was just mortified and she quit dancing. Um, and this, the story just breaks my heart because I also have spent a lot of time being the big girl in the dance company. Um, and so she stopped dancing. Uh, and then after high school, she had one semester of college and then a, a family tragedy happened and she wound up needing to get off of their parents' bankroll and she got married early and had a, a very unhappy marriage. So now she's in her, she's maybe 21 and she describes the story to me. She's laying on her bed. Her husband gives her $7 a week for groceries and he says, Anything left after that you can keep for yourself. Well, even in 1950s, $7 doesn't go that far. No. Um, so she said she laid on her bed crying and she thought, what can I do? What can I do? And she knew that she had had dance for 10 years of dance until she was 13. And she thought, well, I could teach little kids how to dance. 
Um, and so she started a studio in her basement. And she, uh, she started with just three-year-olds. And then gradually, as they got older, um, she started to make enough money that she could go out and study. She would take a ballet class at McPhail each week so that she could stay one chapter ahead of her students. Uh-huh. And then eventually in the 60s, I was born. And her studio, Kay's Studio of Dance, really continued this same um, strange mix of novelty dance forms, tap, ballet. By then, jazz is becoming a thing. So we had her Gus Giordano jazz records that we would follow along to. But oh she gosh. still taught acrobatics and tumbling and baton and ballroom. It was just this uh, really weird and wonderful mix. I remember her senior dancer, whoever her best student was, the year they would graduate, they would get to do the Arabian dance where they would have to do this whole acrobatic dance with a glass of water on their head, you know, sliding what? into the splits and going into a back bend. And it was just very, um, it was just very <laughs> wild and wonderful. But that was really what I grew up doing. And my mother would not get a babysitter. She brought a red coat into the studio and she put it on the floor and she told me, now you can dance with this class or you can sit on the red coat. And that's it. Those are your choices. Well, I was allergic to the red coat. So (laughs) I danced with every class all day long. um, And that's what I thought everyone did. When, When my mom's sister also was struggling and needed a career, she helped her start her dance studio in Shakopee. And her studio was also in her basement. So I really grew up thinking that's what everybody does. You get up in the morning, you eat your lucky charms, you go downstairs, you dance all day. <laughs> and, and I um, love it. I love it. And it that reminds me, sorry, it, kind of thinking of the time frame, I'm, I keep thinking of Judy Garland for some reason <laughs> in Minnesota with like the vaudevillian, you know, learning all of that, like, uh, twirling a baton and, and all of the acts that you're talking about. I feel like that that was like a, a thing of that time. Well, I think a lot of that, you know, pop culture, you know, my mom was certainly not getting tickets to the ballet <laughs> and she wasn't, you know, connected into some high art dance um, places. So I think pop culture and the movies and the musicals were, you know, some of the biggest sources of um, material and inspiration for her. But I do remember going home with a friend from kindergarten and going into her basement where she had a a pinball machine. And I said, you know, where's your dance studio? Why isn't your mom wearing tights? Like what is going on? It was really shocking to me that that wasn't how everyone lived. I love it. And I wish we all did live that way. That would be so great. (laughs) And what was funny then as I got to be maybe five or six um, you know she was still trying to deepen her learning um, so she would take me to other people's classes where she was you know desperately taking notes while I'm dancing in the class so she took me to Mr. Watson who had a tumbling uh, gym that was on Hennepin Avenue right like across from Blackie I think and You know, we went to Bridgman's afterwards, which was, I think, where Shenders is now. Um, And she took me to Larry Gleason's gymnastics studio, to Andahazi Ballet, to Minnesota Dance Theater. 
I remember her taking me to MDT when it was in Dinkytown. And Marsha Chapman uh, was my teacher, and I was about eight years old. And Marsha is Becky Stanchfield's sister. And oh. I remember her just rolling her eyes and clicking her tongue at me and and telling my mother about my terrible sway back. <laughs> <laughs> how oh it was gosh. just not a good look for me. <laughs> and uh, But I did, I, I wound up taking class from a lot of different people just so that my mother could sit and take notes for, for her edification. That is quite yeah. the history here. <laughs> All those and names so, you just listed. Yeah. So part of my project, I, what I want to say is, um, is a project that I'm doing with Kalina Miller and Caitlin Hamble and Michelle Blanchard, who are wonderful filmmakers who worked with me on Lost Voices in Jazz, um, is that we're really starting to interview women from Minnesota or in Minnesota who started their own businesses in dance, their own dance studios in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, kind of looking in that time era. And I'm hoping to find uh, there is a wide range of of dance styles. So looking at whether it's your um, kind of uh, tap ballet jazz studio or Bharatanatyam studio or African dance. But I really want to collect and interview, collect these stories of women um, starting these businesses because I think my mother's story is so interesting. And I'm hoping that what I'll discover is it may be less about dance and more what it is saying about women um, finding their own power um, and mm. dance being a place where they can kind of cut through this real um, male dominated world, especially yeah. in the 50s. So I'm just starting to do those interviews now um, that COVID is, uh, and with vac vaccines, we're getting to a place where we can safely interview people. But even as I've been preparing this project, we have lost several dance teachers that I was hoping to interview, Shar Weiss, you know, famous tap dancer, and Nancy Raditz and others. So I'm really anxious to start um, interviewing people uh, to kind of pull on the threads of this project. And, yeah. and I would like to have the students and the grand students of these teachers uh, present choreography within the story. So part of the story, like Lost Voices, will be video interviews, and the other part will be choreography that um, has come down through that teacher or that student experience. Yes, it sounds amazing, Carla. Oh my gosh! I, I yeah, I'm excited that. to dig in. Yes. Well, and I know that. Zoe Seely was a big part of of your training and 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 also one of those pioneering women I feel you know with the company and and training dancers in the community can you share a little bit of that and how that yes yeah I will actually so so from my mom's studio uh in the 70s she realized there was a, a real popularity for gymnastics and she started her own gymnastics club, even though she had never done any gymnastics. She had done <laughs> a lot of tumbling. Um, this, is, this is so great. So she starts a, a club in Edina, and it becomes very popular. We have two locations. And I am spending every day I get done with school, I go to the gym. And I'm at the gym from 3 o'clock till 9 o'clock. And I'm 
either doing my homework in the corner or I'm dancing or stumbling with the class. And gymnastics is is a nice addition. I'm small. I'm light. I'm able to do a lot of the tricks, but I I am terrified of jumping backwards. And it it begins a kind of anxiety in me that um, rears its head now and then. But it was at the time when Olga Corbett, I don't know if you remember her, was uh, popular and she had this move where she did a back summy on the beam, back somersault, like a flip on the beam and landed. And she also had one where she jumped off the high bar, flew backwards and then caught the high bar in her hands. And I just remember, you know, that I, we got to that level of gymnastics and then my anxiety just said, really, I can't, I can't live like this anymore. Wow. Um, and so then I wanted to go back to dance. And so I started um, at Barb Lotzberg's studio, who was just a longtime teacher, had her studio over 50 years in Richfield at the time. Um, and that was really great for me to have an experience of not being the teacher's daughter. And Barb Lotzberg um, taught us dance notation. She just had a real um, great structure for her class. And I really learned a lot from her. But within a year or two, my mom did take me to Zoe Seely Dance Center. And Zoe, Zoe really treated dance as a serious endeavor. Uh, and that was a big gift that she gave to me. But I remember coming to her first class. I must have been 11 or 12. And I'd been dancing my whole life. So I thought <laughs> I was pretty hot stuff. Um, <laughs> so I take my first jazz class with her. And after class, she says to my mother, she said, well, I can tell she's moved before, but she's going to have to start in beginner. <laughs> I was just, you know, crushed. Um, oh. But I did start at the Zoe Seeley Center and eventually was on scholarship and studied her at her center was really like a conservatory. I studied tap with Sally Graf. I had many levels of jazz with Zoe. We have David Voss for modern, Maria Chang, Margie Fagnoli. Andy Rist for ballet, Marsha Estenson, uh, Marsha Keegan for ballet. Um, and just, it was a really great training ground um, during my teen years. And my cousin, uh, I Sherry's daughter, Jill, Jill Sin, had been in uh, Zoe's company, the Minnesota Jazz Dance Company. And Jill was just my idol. I if she had become a football player, I would be a football player today. <laughs> I, I was going to do anything that she did. Um, and watching her do concert dance, which was really my first exposure to what you might be doing with your dance career. Otherwise, oh. I had only actually seen grown-up dancers on TV. So the Carol Burnett show and the Jackie Gleason show, they had the Ernie Flat dancers and the June Taylor dancers and Lawrence Welk had a lot of dancers on his show. And so when I was doing all this dancing and trying to think, you know, what am I going to do? I was like, well, if I could get rid of Sissy, I could dance with Bobby on the Lawrence Welk show. But I really didn't see <laughs> what my options were. Um, so seeing the Minnesota Jazz Dance Company and seeing concert dance on the stage for the first time was really illuminating and really gave me some enthusiasm and an excitement for what I, a place I could go with my dancing. I love it. I love it. And having to see that to even realize that that's what you could do with it. 
Oh, yeah, it just never occurred to me what what I was going to (laughs) do with my dancing. So was it always, was it like an after school dance program then that you were involved in? Um, During, yes, I probably started there in junior high. And you, if you were on scholarship, you would take a certain number of classes and then you got a discount for helping to clean the studio. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I probably went after school, um, maybe three or four times a week and would take at least two classes and then probably class on Saturday mornings as well. Eventually my senior year, I was an apprentice with the company and I got to get out of school early. Um, But when you were in the company, you took morning class, 930 class, and then you rehearsed from 11 to three, you know, just like we did in jazz dance uh, many years later. Um, So it was kind of a daytime endeavor. And then you would teach in the evening or maybe take class in the evening or do some other job so that you could afford to spend these three hours a week in studio uh, for no pay. Incredible. And I feel like the names that you listed that were teaching at Zoe's Center really became the dance program at the U of M University of Minnesota, honestly, all the names. I, they- I think there certainly was a lot of that. Um, David and Maria, for sure, and Margie uh, wow. were really uh, foundational people at the U. And Zoe herself, when the company folded, began teaching at the U and spent another 25 or so years um, really grounded at the university and doing continual work there. Um, because you interviewed Kevin, I just listened to his great interview, Kevin Jones, yeah, yesterday. Yeah. I do want to mention that we also worked with Dave McCoskey and Michael Petty as our um, tech guys at Minnesota Jazz Dance Company. And they toured with us and created um, uh, created great technical support for all the work that Minnesota Jazz Dance Company and also Michael Beery. Uh, was a lighting designer and a costume designer whose hmm. names I should mention. It's incredible. And you honestly, Carla, your memory, your uh, knowledge of these names and being able to to just spew them out like this is just incredible. I'm in, fascinated by your mind right now. Um, I'm interested in understanding kind of there's a perception, I feel like Minnesota Dance Theater was separate and Hauser was separate, like that kind of... Uh, perception of like this is the world where we're living and working in like was it pretty at that time like everything was focused on zoe's center for dance um for you i i have to say for me i hadn't really been introduced to modern dance until i was dancing in zoe's in my later teens and early 20s when she started to bring in more modern choreographers uh and teachers before that, we felt like like jazz was really kind of treated like the little sister in town because Minnesota, Minneapolis has always been a kind of modern dance town since I think the 70s. Um, so we're talking about the days, 70s and 80s, the Minnesota Dance Alliance. But I think we were still friendly with Nancy Hauser's company. I know that we did... Um, a joint project with them in 1980. Um, I think there was still a sense of community in dance. There was a real rivalry between Minnesota Jazz Dance Company and Xenon. 
because three of Zoe's dancers spun off from her company, Minnesota Jazz Dance Company, and started Ozone. So yes, that was yes, yes, yes. Ann Gunderson, Ken DeLapp, and I want to say Kathy Gaziorwitz. Um, so they started Ozone, which would gradually become just for jazz dancers and Rezone and into Xenon. But that uh, that really set us up in competition with them, at least in my uh, mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I know, like, they would have uh, Xenon would have like Joel Hall come do a master class, so we would all go over and take the master class at Xenon back when they were on Fifth by the little red wagon in that studio. I don't know if you remember yes, that far yes. back. And I sure, do. you know, someone would get like slapped in class or kicked in class. There was just this real kind of like. Mm, rivalry between our companies that at least I oh felt and still even though I teach at Xenon and love Xenon I still I get off the elevator and I get a little shiver and then I'm <laughs> walking in to the enemy camp but um, I, I say that in a lighthearted, uh, jovial yes. way I have so much respect for Xenon uh, the school and the company and all of its marvelous dancers and tremendous choreographers they are a force yeah, definitely. It's so interesting. I always am interested in because you've been here and have, you know, evolved with the community. It's interesting to me that perception of because I'm getting that out of these interviews. Like there was this thing of like I this is it. Like Minnesota Jazz Dance Company is it and they couldn't train elsewhere. Um kind of a thing and and I feel like that that really has opened up. Uh, in my eyes anyway, that, you know, people are taking everywhere and it's just the way dance itself has evolved of, you know, the company kind of format really has dissolved. I think when we're looking at these, you know, Nancy Hauser and Lois Holton and Zoe Seeley, you're looking at these leaders, these, you know, independent women who are, creating you know work of one voice um and and i think those those individual leaders you had their own followers and people educating Mm. and now i think once the leadership is gone and it becomes more of a foundation uh it does sort of open things up and i think there's um also there's just more ability to go different places and take different classes. Um, I think back then you kind of had your home base and that was where you stayed. Yeah. It's like the world opened up and more with internet, you know, right. Even more now with zooming. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty wonderful. Crazy. And please know I'm probably jumping around in places and I, I want to make sure I don't skip uh, details with you because I think you have such a great, um, you know, career here in dance and things, but I'm wondering how you, my next question was how you kind of began your relationship with Danny. How did that all start? Well, um, um, so I was, I was dancing with Zoe my senior year in high school. And then I had a condition that I just, I had to stop dancing. And so I went to college at Augsburg, two years at Augsburg and two years at the U um, and was getting my, I got my theater degree. 
And at the end of that, I was able to have a corrective surgery that allowed me to dance again. And within two months, I was back at Zoe's company auditioning. Um, and that's where I really started in the company in earnest. So that would have been 1984. And I was 22. And also, in, in order to make the money to be able to be a, an apprentice in that company, even company members really didn't make a living wage uh, doing it. My mother helped me create start my own dance studio in St. Cloud, uh, Carla Kay's studio of dance. Uh, so I was then teaching eight hours a day on Saturday to make enough money that I could be dancing with Zoe and the company during the week. So I'm in my early 20s, I'm dancing with the company, and we bring in, she she writes for funding for a project to bring in Danny Burachewski's company and do a joint show with them. And it is also with the J.D. Steele family singer. So we're, it's a collaboration between these three groups. And Danny uh, brings his company to town at this point we are rehearsing in children's theater studio. I, I'm not sure why. Can't remember. Mm. And uh, they walk in, and on one um, on one break, Danny and Les are decide to just run Lost Life, uh, the life of Art Pepper. Do you remember uh, that piece? Yes. And yes. Yes. They're the only two running it. I think the other dancers maybe haven't arrived yet, and they're kind of just marking it. So they're playing, uh, you know. Art Pepper, Winter Moon is the cut. And they start going through the choreography. And I, my heart just cracked open. Oh. And it was this other moment, like, like with Zoe seeing her um, first exposure to concert dance and understanding what might be possible with dancing was thrilling. But seeing them do Lost Life, went deeper it really cut into me um the immediacy and the importance and the deep connection of that work i couldn't have articulated it then but i knew that i had to follow that and so that wow. summer i um i borrowed three thousand dollars from the bank my mom took me to the bank and showed me how to take out a loan and I applied to go to American Dance Festival, which was six weeks long in North Carolina. And then right fo immediately following that, I went for three weeks to Jacob's Pillow. And I went because Danny was, <laughs> he was teaching at both ADF and Jacob's Pillow. So I was basically um, just going to study deeper with him. And yeah. at American Dance Festival, you were supposed to take uh, a ballet class, a modern class, a class of your choice, and a body care class. Well, I signed up for that, but I really just took jazz, 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 massage. <laughs> uh -huh. And I just took his class every day. Um, then also at Jacob's Pillow, I went and studied with um, some of his dancers. Abby Levine, I think, was really set was setting um, Avalon on dancers there. And uh, by the end of the summer I think I I came back from that and within two weeks I, he had fired a dancer he called me invited me to come out to New York and join the company and oh. I he called me on a Tuesday and I had to start on a Thursday oh my <laughs> so gosh. I just threw everything in a box 
hired someone to teach at my studio, moved to New York. I didn't know uptown from downtown. It was just um, thrilling and terrifying and um, really amazing. So this is 1987. I am in maybe 25. Wow. Amazing, Carla. This is making me have a whole new fresh eyes on my first experience in New York with Danny uh, in thinking of you and the history you've had with him. Wow. It was, it was wonderful. And we, I went right out on tour. Um, so I didn't even get an apartment for the first couple of months. And I was with the first company was just so um, they were so funny and so loving and supportive. And it was just such a great experience. I was dancing with Robert Smith and Abby Levine, Shelly Rice, or Shelly Rice, Eloy Ibarra, uh, Les Johnson, of course, and Jane mm. Blount. And it was just, I was um, kind of the baby of that company. And this was <laughs> the last time I would ever be the baby in a company. <laughs> right now <laughs> I'm like the grandma of the company. Uh, but as the baby, there was just so much support um, and so much deep learning that I had to do with Danny. Um, Danny really valued um, and he had such an academic approach. He really studied the history of the music and the artist uh, and the social context. And he really uh, taught me to look deeper into the music. I don't know if you remember all of the, the lecture demonstrations that we would do in schools. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And back then, he would give the same lecture to college kids, or the same lecture to kindergartners that he would give to college kids. <laughs> and huh. I can remember him saying to a class of kindergartners, jazz dance comes from the American vernacular. And this little kid raised his hand and he said, I have a pair of vernaculars. <laughs> <laughs> but, I love um, it. but Danny really, that was. Danny really helped me understand the why of what I was doing and to look deeper. And he started my quest to really focus on the history of jazz music, the history of the dances associated with jazz music, and which laid a foundation for all of my teaching to come in both jazz and tap forms. Completely. I, and I so see it, Carla. Wow. How long were you in New York then with... I was in three three years in New York uh, doing Danny's really intellectual, mathematical, architectural, musical, sophisticated dances, which was so, you know, thrilling and, and frightening um, and exciting. But also being in New York, I got to really study. Um, I, I had to, to really work hard. So I spent a lot of time at dance space. I studied Simonson technique with Lynn Simonson and Katiti mm. King, and especially Lori DeVito. I took a lot of modern dance with Joy Kalman and Milton Myers. I studied with Betsy Haug, who was Danny's jazz teacher, and he used so much of her vocabulary in his work in our New York days. Um, Woodpecker Tap Studio was there, so I studied with Barbara Duffy and Margaret Morrison and um, several people there. So it was a really time of deep um, investigation and learning and training for me, which was also um, so important about my New York years. Yeah. And I, I assume like you had to have odd jobs as well. <laughs> the culture. I, I had some very odd jobs. 
<laughs> I I was an artist model. I was a terrible waitress. I had not been a waitress. Oh, I guess I had been a waitress a little bit before, but I finally went to this diner called the New Purity uh, Cafe, the New Purity Diner, and I needed this job. Um, and my good friend, Jan Campbell, who was Jan Nagley then, who I also had grown up dancing with at Zoe's, was a fabulous waitress. She'd been doing it for years. So she came and she sat at the counter. And for my whole 10-hour shift, she just told me everything to do. She showed uh -huh. me how to hold three water glasses in one hand. Okay, now put the toast down. <laughs> um, so I did that. I also did, uh, oh, some. I can't talk about all the jobs, <laughs> but I'll say this uh, interesting thing that there was a place across the street called the Oasis Little Mediterranean Cafe and Joe Koala worked at that cafe. So we never ran into each other in New York, but we had both uh, lived in the same area and worked at restaurants across the street from each other um, and just hadn't met yet, which was a oh, funny crazy. aside. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So you were in New York and did you come here following Danny then when he moved to Minneapolis? Well, yes, this is uh, even more of a dramatic story. So then uh, Danny had also been working with Xenon and they had made the decision to move to, Min to Minnesota, to Minneapolis and to merge with Xenon. And so, of course, many of us in the company were very interested in staying with the company, especially me, because I'm from Minneapolis. Yeah. And so we arranged a, a special showing. And the, and, um, the director of Xenon uh, was going to come watch the showing and then decide which of us dancers she wanted. So we rented a studio at American Ballet Theater and we prepared, you know, this 40-minute showing. And we finally had to start. It was a rented. She hadn't arrived. And it was the time for the, the performance to start. So we just had to start the performance. And about halfway through, she came walking in with a bunch of shopping bags. And oh my gosh. watched the rest of it. Um, and uh, she did not. Um, did not take me. She took Danny and Les and none of the rest of us. So huh. that was a moment of um, of reckoning for me. And I still moved back to Minneapolis, but I had no place to dance. I kept teaching at my studio in St. Cloud on Saturdays. And that's um, when a couple of things happened. I, uh, through uh, fate, I met Joe Koala and started working with him in a way that would become the Flying Foot Forum. And after the death of my mother, I uh, sold my dance studio and I took that money and I went back to college at the U, which is where I met you. Yes. I was the, okay. the 30 year old student in your class when you were <laughs> just a, a baby. <laughs> a baby. Um, and so I, I went just two years to add a dance degree to my theater degree. And I think Joanne Horn and I were the first students in 1993 to graduate with a BFA, a Bachelor of Fine Arts. Before that, they had not offered it. Yes. And that was, that was a great uh, place of learning. It was a great place to reconnect 
with Zoe uh, to take my first classes in choreography, which you were in as well with Marge Maddox and Maria Chang. Um, and and in a funny way, I my studio in St. Cloud uh, was really important for, it helped fund my time in New York. It helped fund me going back to school. And I have um, several students who went on to have dance careers from Carla Kay's Studio of Dance in St. Cloud, which includes Kalina Miller, um, fabulous tap dancer who yes. has her company, Kalina Miller Dance. Kelsey Kudak, who is an awesome, um, she was a journalist and dancer, and she's gone on to be a really important um, fact checker, editor, writer. Um, and Nicole Hetwer, who might have, I'm not sure if you went through school with her. She graduated with, I think, Cindy Garner and Laura Sally. Okay. Um, Tony Melius, who works with Faye Driscoll out of New York. Um, oh. So that that's a real, if I have any feather in my cap, it was being a bridge for some of those small town dancers. Uh, and Kelly Tennyson, I'm not sure if you met her. Oh my she gosh, with, I loved oh, Kelly Tennyson. <laughs> oh, she was just talent just complete talent yes. um and heart i love that girl she danced with robin steam yeah um, she and i danced together with robin that's so interesting i don't think yeah, i knew she that was my, she was my star my star student from carla k's studio of dance uh, oh my um, gosh so. i'm having memories now <laughs> So then That's... I graduated um, and was dancing with uh, Flying Foot Forum and graduate. Oh, no, while I was still in school, Danny and Zenon, as they say, divorced. <laughs> yeah. And I know you've been through that in other interviews. Um, <laughs> so when he restarted his company, he called me. Um, and of course, I, I couldn't say no, uh, but I wasn't sure how I was going to balance being in a student and dancing with flying foot forum and dancing in jazz dance, but I threw all caution to the wind and began um, my second career with jazz dance in Minneapolis, which was such an important time. Um, it was when I danced with you and there was so much, um, uh, so much dancing with the joyful young cast of Annie, Anna King, Judith James, uh. Joanne Horn, Maria Vignon, uh, Dana Halstead, and um, and also my partner Michael McGowan, who I I give credit for extending my career this long because after every lift, he set me down like on a satin pillow and not like a sack <laughs> of potato. <laughs> um, and also Kathy Young, who was such an important uh, mentor to me, teaching wise, choreography wise, and her. Uh, fearlessness and her confidence. Uh, she was just such a great example of that for me because um, I, I was always, you know, afraid I couldn't do what I needed to do. Huh. Amazing. Um, so, um, but Amazing. working with you was such a joy. You were so always so open and curious and accepting and your movement quality is just so um, delicious and easeful and musical and, um, and so human. Uh, that that was a real, a really thrilling company to be in. <laughs> Thank you, Carla. I was very young and, and naive and uh, lots of wonderful 
eye-opening experiences for sure and and learning a great deal from you specifically um as well i'm interested in knowing how you so how did the joe koala connection happen here in minnesota well zoe was zoe seeley was the representative for the international tap association maybe the ita and she had one meeting <laughs> of the ita and four people, three people came to the meeting and two of them were Joe Koala and I. Oh. And my mother had just died two weeks earlier. And so it was just really raw for me. Um, mm. And, you know, we met and I, I, I was mostly looking for how can I get more TAP experience so that I can stay ahead of my students, you know, because your kids start to get really good and it pushes you. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's a familiar theme for my mother. I was just looking like, who can I study with? Who can I learn from? And Joe was looking for some dancers to work with, to uh, work on some ideas that he had um, that were kind of beyond tap, mixing tap with other kinds of rhythmic language and speaking and and developing this idea that will become the essence of flying foot forum um and zoe recommended me and we had our first rehearsal a few weeks uh later it was chris harris and i and i remember we came in and there was kind of a big difference between the kind of tap that was taught at the sort of novelty school i grew up with and the kind of tap dance you would see, you know, at the Hoofers Club that really comes out of this rhythm tap, rich rhythm tap history, more of tap dance as a musicianship as opposed to tap dance as Broadway decoration. Um, and Joe had much more sophisticated tap training than I had. So I can remember at the first rehearsal watching him and he was just kind of like shuffling his feet around and making all these sounds and he just didn't recognize anything he was doing <laughs> he turned around and he said have you got it <laughs> and i i do believe that i cried in that first rehearsal <laughs> oh my gosh wow but you know i opened up and he taught me um he was he's just such a generous loving caring um low no ego uh, accepting human being and he taught us what we needed to learn to do it. Um, and it was just a, a great experience and cracked open uh, some of the most important uh, parts of my career. Nice. And yeah. that's how we got started. We were doing a piece that would be shown in the Out There, the, one of the very first Out There series okay. performances in 1990, I believe. And that's kind of when the company like formed, correct? Is that Well, true? it probably didn't have a name for another year or two. Okay. Um, we just worked on that one. Joe was, I think, performing a lot at Chanhassen Dinner Theater, and I think he was a substitute English teacher during the day. Um, oh. So we did this one performance, uh, which was an early version of a piece called One's All, Two's All, Zig's All, Zang, Zan, that is um, based on uh, nonsense rhymes. Uh, and rhythms of children's games and nonsense rhymes. Um, but then eventually he did Berserks, which was uh, kind of this big piece about the Norse warrior cult, the Berserks, but we did it in modern dress and ties and raincoats. 
yes, using yes. hubcaps as you know shields and sticks as spears and that piece really um, was so innovative and so powerful and really put us on the map and I think then we moved into the place where we were flying foot forum and Jeff Bartlett at the Southern really helped us uh, have a home and um, Joe and I were writing grants and it just started to uh, un snowball from there and it just became uh, became the Flying Foot Forum, the beautiful, incredible, creative uh, company that it is today. Yeah. And since 1990, you've been dancing with the Flying Foot Forum. I mean, that's just such a huge gift to a choreographer. And uh, I imagine quite a lot of collaboration. Um, I, I know an amazing duet that you and Joe did. I uh, Well, I'm sure you've done several, but there was this one like, incredible with a sheet in the back oh, yeah that was a piece called soft shoes which was a series of three duets um yes. and we have that has evolved over time we've added other duets and in 2009 joe and i did a duet show um that was all duets and uh i think part of those some of those duets lika valsen was kind of the old-fashioned um, Swedish uh, duet that we do have done probably hundreds of times now over the years that we are kind of just growing into. <laughs> um, it's incredible to think about like the repetition of doing a piece for so many years as well. I think there's such a beauty to that of like as a performer, how you always reinvent that work or the feeling of it and present it, you know, keeping it fresh every time yeah. I think is incredible. I, I think there's definitely, there's something into that and now doing something for 30 years, um, <laughs> you know, there's also that like, Oh, the moment where you have to take that lift out or the moment where you, <laughs> you uh, understand something, a little more uh, deeply or um, or when you know something, when you know choreography so well that you can't break it down anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like when we pull that dance out, we can't talk about it. We can't ask each other questions about it. We, we put it on the music, we go, we usually get through it and then we just do it two or three or four times before we can even say, okay, what is that step again? Because we don't dare analyze it you know it, you've just got to trust the place that it's in your body um, yeah that motor memory <laughs> beautiful about that i have also done a lot of adaptive uh tap dance classes with people um in care centers in senior care centers and it's so interesting how when you tap into people's movement memory and muscle memory they they kind of become the person they remember that they were. I know that when we, when I would play swing music or, you know, some special song like the Tennessee Waltz or something, you could just see these mm. people in the class kind of drop into their other bodies. And maybe they're still sitting in a wheelchair or sitting in a chair, but you just can see how their bodies change. And I do feel that myself when I put together an older dance, I can kind of, have a taste of 
who I was when I was first doing that dance. And there's something really delicious and satisfying and soulful about that. Yeah. Well, there's also things like I can't do in the same way anymore. And that's pretty sad. Uh, well, and that reminds me of like hearing a piece of music, like, and I think I've maybe even mentioned this already uh, in studio stories that like Dave Brubeck comes on and I'm just like, I'm going to vomit, <laughs> you know, from jazz yes. dance. Like those that first, those first four or fives of Brubeck. I, I, and they play that, you know, in elevators, in restaurants, <laughs> everywhere. And I still, yeah. I also get nauseous just those, that introduction. Um, oh yeah. I feel you. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm interested in hearing maybe some highlights of yours uh, that really stand out. Like you, we talked a little bit about soft shoes that I pulled out, but if, are there specific pieces either for jazz dance or Joe or Zoe or. Um... I think when I think about what were my most important ones, I think doing fission for the first time, which was Danny Burchesky's masterpiece um, to Dave Brubeck music. Um, mm -hmm. And it, I, I was, of course, you know, terrified. I was doing it at the, I think, possibly the Spoleto Festival in North Carolina. This would be maybe 1988 or so. And mm. it was a dance that I really loved and revered and was stepping into, you know, um, a part that someone else had done so beautifully. Um, also, I think Joe and I doing Leek of Olsen and doing our duet show, um, those pieces really resonate with me. Um, and our dancing connection is just unlike any other um, dance partner that I've had. And it's such um, deep communication. It's so satisfying. There's a sense of um, letting go of myself in those uh in those parts, the theatricality of it, the connection to the music, uh, the deep content, um, those flying foot forum dances are really transformative, including our percussion project, which is a piece we did, uh, Peter O'Gorman and Joe Koala and I, the three of us created all the dances and we made all of the sound for the dances that we were dancing to, <laughs> which is really demanding. So you're having to make the music while you're dancing to it, which was um, a high bar, but really satisfying. Yeah. I remember that piece. What is it called? It's called The Percussion Project. The Percussion Project, okay. And it was a series of solos, duets, and trios that we all yeah. created individually and together. Um, and it was very risky and very satisfying. And, and I then, remember like visual, like really visually interesting lighting that happened with that piece as well. I feel. Yeah, I think you might be thinking of, I saw Esau where we had the light box oh, where it's just shoot, our hands right. are popping in. And, <laughs> yeah, yes. but that's a part of, that is a part of the percussion project that has okay. also grown and expanded to be the subject of our latest short film. Uh, Joe Koala, along with Caitlin Hamill and Steve Campbell, have been making um, film shorts uh, out of some of our pieces uh, that are eventually, when they complete all six short films, will hold a lot of the repertory that was so um, important to Flying Foot Forum mm. and be a real love letter to the company. Oh, that's beautiful. 
And then last but not least, Lost Voices. I didn't get to dance in it, <laughs> but I sure put a lot of work into it. Um, and that's also going to really resonate with me. Is it okay if we chat a little more about Lost Voices? Yeah, I was actually just going to say, like, I was blown away by that evening. I think I've told you that personally, but I just, the amount of research you did, and it was just an amazing, like, I think it might have inspired <laughs> studio stories for me as well, Carla, honestly, like, the importance of knowing our history. So I'm going to just say thank you for that. And yes, please tell us about Lost Voices. Oh, well, I'm so glad. And I really admire uh, what Studio Stories is doing. Um, and it would have been made my job so much easier if someone else had done Studio Stories <laughs> 30 <laughs> years ago. Um, but I really, in, in 2015, I worked along with Karis Lost Harris and her fabulous Eclectic Edge Ensemble and with filmmakers Caitlin Hamble and Michelle Blanchard of Perimeter Productions um, to create Lost Voices in Jazz, the choreographers of the Minnesota Jazz Dance Company, which really was featuring, recreating um, the choreography by four choreographers who were lost to AIDS, who had all set work on Zoe's company, the Minnesota Jazz Dance Company. Um, so the reasons that I did it were several. One is it had been 35 years since the beginning of the American AIDS epidemic, and I was feeling there was such a social amnesia around AIDS, mm. especially among young people, around awareness and education and understanding of the consequences. Um, and I felt like teaching, you know, teaching in a lot of college students, I hear them talk about everything, but I was never hearing them talk about AIDS. And so I felt like, I think because of the secrecy around AIDS and the shame around AIDS in the 80s, I think parents weren't talking to children, families weren't talking among each other. Um, and I felt like we, AIDS is not gone. Mm -hmm. And then I felt like it was really important to, to sort of bring an awareness to that. Um, I also wanted to honor these choreographers. Um, and part of what was really satisfying was connecting with their families um, and bringing them into getting the histories of their families. Um, and a lot of those families, you know, were now with the younger generation, their family much more progressive than they maybe were in the 80s. So more ready to embrace the experience of what happened to their loved one with more understanding. Um, and many of their families had not really seen their artistic work. I remember one family member said, I was one when my uncle died and I was 31 when I learned his history. And now here I am seeing his dances on stage for the first time and, mm. and that that was really meaningful to them. Um, Clarence Teeter's sister, Carla Brown, uh, she said to me that I, um, she said, thank you, you brought my brother's life back to me. Um, and that just meant so much to me to be able to honor the families and honor these artists and to recognize how much of the landscape of American concert jazz dance was changed because of the loss of these voices. Yeah. I mean, we had Danny's company and we had decidedly jazz dance, but really if, if, if we hadn't lost so many jazz artists 
to AIDS, the landscape would look so different. The kinds of techniques and the styles and the um, choreographic voices would have just made for such a, a lush landscape in, instead of just a small stand of trees. Yeah. And lastly, it was really a love letter to Zoe. As young dancers in her company, I think a lot of times we treated her like our mother and, you know, maybe not in the best way. <laughs> um, I think some, some dancers left without really saying goodbye or without saying thank you or without showing her the love and respect that I felt she really deserved. And I knew um, for myself and others that now in our 50s and 60s, we're looking back at those years and they are just these golden memories. They are just this treasured time and this really important understanding of ourselves as artists. And I mm. knew that we all needed to come back together. And I didn't want us to come back at her funeral. I wanted us to come back around something really vibrant and positive. And I wanted to hold the memories of our our lost comrades and including um, a dancer, Greg Stuhl and Tom Freiberg, his partner, who was our studio manager. I really wanted us to come back um, together. And we did, we had a reunion before one of the performances where 50 members came back and got a uh -huh. chance to talk to Zoe. Um, so I was thrilled at how it turned out because I, in the beginning, planning a, a show for a defunct jazz company uh, with work by dead choreographers. I just wasn't sure how it was gonna go over, but it was, um, it accomplished my goals and it was very, very satisfying to do. Yeah, it was incredible. And what a gift, I think, for the community to experience that. And I had no idea, like the reunion aspect of it, like how wonderful is that to, you know, have that, I can't even imagine putting all of that together, Carla. <laughs> I can't either. I felt like I was, I was overtaken, like, <laughs> like I was just inhabited and driven to spend, you know, every waking moment of a couple of years, just making that happen. I am mm. really grateful to the dancers and including our guest artists like Darius Strong and Anika McMullen Heather Klopchen, Timothy Harrion, Gabriel Anderson, and of course, Danny Brachewski uh, flew in and performed uh, his solo for all we know, which just breaks my heart every time I see it. Um, yeah. And that was so important to me. And during the research, I was, I was trying to connect with some former company members who I didn't know what had happened, but I was concerned they may have been lost to AIDS. And I have two remarkable stories. One, um, I had the name of Robert Harwood and six people had told me he had died of AIDS. So I was trying to get a picture of him to do a little tribute. So I can't find his family, but I am able to find a Facebook group of his high school class reunion. And they give me the last number that they have for him, which is from 1980 something. Huh. So desperately i call this number and i said you know i go into this long story about why i'm calling and just to see if they know where he might have moved or what might have happened to him and the guy who answers the phone goes just a minute robert it's for you oh. and it turns out 
he didn't die of AIDS. He was alive and well. He had gone to Europe um, and come back and someone had said he died of AIDS and the rumor got started. So I was thrilled to find that he was alive and well. And also there was a dancer, Denny Kelly, who had been in the early company in 1975. And I had been trying so hard to find him. Um, lots of uh, strange uh, rabbit holes I went down and finally I left a message at a um, health center <laughs> that couldn't give me any information but they would take a message for me and uh, they found him in a group um, I can't remember more uh, but he contacted me and he was actually diagnosed with AIDS in 1986 and he was still alive um, and he became the basis for a lot of the important interviews that we filmed. And we brought him to the O'Shaughnessy and he, um, to see the show and to reconnect with all of his old friends. And that was also um, really satisfying and really moving part of Lost Voices. Incredible. I mean, to find someone alive <laughs> after, after all of that, the rumors, my goodness. Yeah, it was just crazy. Oh my gosh. Well, Carla, you have, again, a, such a great impact on this community um, with that work and, and with all you've done in the community. I just, I, I'm so thankful um, <laughs> that you were in jazz dance when I was young and coming into uh, the professional career of that world. There was so much I needed to learn. And so I really um, appreciated your kindnesses then, kindnesses, <laughs> if that's a word. Um, but I also, in, in talking to you today, just the amount of respect and care that you've given to the people that you've been involved with in your career um, that have touched you with your teachers and, you know, being able to cite their names and really really just keep that history moving forward with the students you have um, taught through the years is just incredible. I know everyone talks about your class at the U or at Xenon of like the history of jazz and the music and like exactly kind of what you were talking about with uh, learning from Danny, you know, that appreciation and, and really bringing it forward. You've, you've done quite, quite well. <laughs> Do you mind if I just say a quick second, something about my students? Yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> I, in my 20 years of, 22 years of teaching jazz and tap at all levels at um, the University of Minnesota, and now these past seven years at St. Olaf have been such a great training ground for me to deepen my teaching and focus my classes on structuring them on the history of jazz music, the social dances, and diving into improvisation, but so many of my students have now become my colleagues and in some ways my teachers. It's been, uh, it's definitely worth a mention. I want to say that in Flying Foot Forum, I dance with Molly K. Stoltz and Jeremy Bensusan and Charles Robison um, and uh, Erin Liebhart. I have to mention she and I co-teach Friday Morning Jazz um, at Xenon, but she also created Rhythmically Speaking, which um, before Rhythmically Speaking, I was a very um, uh, nervous choreographer. I didn't have a lot of confidence. 
um, and I was very afraid to make dances, but she really pushed me uh, to mm. choreograph and to experiment and to begin to find my voice as a choreographer. And I think I created 10 works through oh um, Rhythmically Speaking, which really helped me get my grounded um, groundedness and really surprised myself and delighted myself and got to um, explore choreography. And it really errands fearlessness and resourcefulness and positivity and curiosity uh, inspired me. I've cast her in every piece that I've created. And, huh. Um, so many of my students ha have really given to me in my choreography. And when I uh, turned down my teaching contract this last fall at the U, I decided to take the fall off. But instead of teaching, I would start taking classes from my students. So I made an effort to zoom in. And I've been studying with Aaron and Emily Broker, and Olivia Rivard. Megan Vitale, Tristan Kepke, Michelle Lemon, and others. So I just made an effort to really try and study now with my students. And that is a, a full circle thing that is so uh, thrilling and satisfying and just like a balm to the soul um, as I try and, you know, keep dancing into my sixth decade here. That's incredible. That's really, really beautiful. What a gift. Yeah. And it's so true, like continuing to learn, I think, as dancers. That's one of the beauties that dancers as humans really embrace. I feel like that constant learning um, is so much a part of it. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm so grateful for you, Carla, and feel like I can speak for so many, <laughs> so many to say thank you uh, for sharing your open heart and love of dance with us. So. Well, thank you for letting me tell my story. It was so much fun to talk to you today. And I hope we get to see each other in person sometime soon. Yes, definitely. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Next week, we chat with Bonnie Mathis, a prominent force here in Minnesota with an illustrious career from American Ballet Theater, Paul Taylor, and Netherlands Dance Theater.